Quickly, uh, Mike didn't get a chance to write it, but he wanted to uh, say thank you to everyone here for prayers, but also especially to Bob Page. Bob, you've been a good friend to Mike, and Bob has been, it used to be, be like Mike when you grew up, like Michael Jordan when I grew up, but I'd be like Bob now, you know what I mean? But Bob's a good friend, and he was uh, uh, not a master of anything, but very good at a lot of things, right, Bob? And so thank you for that, and thank you for the church. And Mike, we're happy to have you back, and good to see you, right? He's good, and uh, he's had a couple surgeries, and he's looking for the next chapter, and we'll help him as much as we can and be there for him. So uh, let me pray. And that was a fun scripture, right? Uh, the Babylonian king took the things that were sacred unto the Lord and drank from them and parted with them. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, but what's about to happen? Hammer's about to what? And the problem is most of us like the hammer drop because it's not on who? Us. Let me pray. Father, help me and help us. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this place. Thank you for your faithful servants here and around the globe who truly treat others as they wish to be treated, who model the way of your son who went to the cross when we couldn't and loved us when we couldn't even love ourselves. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in this kind of summer series of exile, and again, there's a tension. We'll reset it every time I'm up here. The tension is, how do I live as an exile? Not as just an American or a Caucasian or a non-Caucasian or a Silicon Valleyite or a non-Silicon Valleyite. How do I live as a Christian in exile? Because this is not my what? Home. We're sojourning through this life, awaiting our eternal home, which was one on Calvary bought by our Lord Christ. So how do we live? And that tension is the tension between Jeremiah 29 and 1 John 2. And we're gonna, I'm going to hammer it for the next four weeks because I think we'll be here eight weeks. Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah wrote to those in exile, the Jews, the favored people of God, those with God's favor, hey, don't buck the system. You're going to be there for a while. Build homes, take wives, work in Babylon, and seek the welfare of Babylon. That's how God will show favor to you as who? Exiles. Don't start a Facebook chat group. Don't start a hoarding and gathering society in the mountains of Babylon, bucking the government. Actually be a part of the society. And God will show favor on you, therefore bringing favor to what? Babylon, as he can. But then 1 John 2 comes, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Its lust, its passions, all its desires are fleeting away. Many, of, many people ask me, because I'm a pastor, what's the Calvary Road? The tension between those two realities is the Calvary Road. If this is the Calvary Road where I'm to deny self and walk in that every day and follow my Lord, that's it. Live in between the tension of do what's best for America as a citizen, because I live in America and I'm an American, but don't love the things of the world, because they are what? Fleeting. And this is, there's a method to my madness, the whole teaching of what? The Sermon on the what? Mount. Jesus taught us how to do this over and over. We were there for six months, so hopefully we got it, right? So that's the setting. Last week we saw Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar humbled, right? He started eating like a what? Cow. Why? Because he had the mind of a beast. What was the mind of a beast? Biblically, according to Daniel, oppressing people. Great. I'm going to preach a sermon after this week in this country, right? We'll get there. 
when Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom were constantly oppressing people and constantly, mostly economically and different things, and holding people down, God said, you're acting like an animal, go be an animal. That's what it means. It makes sense, right? I remember that story as a kid. I'm like, this makes no sense. Not to, who taught me? Gene, did you teach me? Gene was a great teacher. I don't, I don't know who taught me, but, but the point is, as we grow and as we learn and as we have the Holy Spirit come, we learn things. So for seven years, give or take, Nebuchadnezzar ate, smelt, did things that beasts do. And then it's a lot like Luke 15, as we read last week. He came to his senses in the muck and mire and looked up and said, there's a God and what? I'm not him. And his mind returned, showing us in metaphor and symbolism that when we honor God and see things as he created, that is when we in our right, what, mind. When I see other people that are a different gender than me or a different ethnicity than me, and I see them as part of God's imago Dei, created in him, his image, I act like a human being bought by the blood of who? Christ, not like a what? An animal. Like I said last week, do lions ask permission to do anything? <laughs> it does what it wants. Does a 2,000 pound bull, three-year-old, ask permission to do anything? It does what, what? It wants. And much of our society, they're not animals, the pastor didn't say that, have the mindset of people who just do what they what? Want. So the end of chapter four, I don't think I had it there, Kim, but can you go to Daniel 4.37, give her a second. This is the last shot we get of Nebuchadnezzar. He is restored, he comes to his senses, and if we'll get there, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And we say, as Americans, what? Yes! Until we look inside our hearts and go, oh, God's justice is like that. It's not what I think is right all the time. And those who walk in pride, he's able to what? And we say, amen. How many have walked in pride in your life? How many of has God humbled? Me, for sure, I can speak testimony of that. And all of us go, amen, because we are returned to our what? Senses, right mind. All right, so a new king shows up. We read some of it. Nebuchadnezzar's son, weird name, sorry to throw you all you scripture readers. Deb had it right there. Belshazzar, next verse, maybe Daniel 5.1. What do new kings do to show off their new kingness? They have a big party in the palace, right? Old man's gone, time to party, right? Old man's out of here. Time to do our thing. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of a thousand. So he's showing off, as kings do, no problem. That's what kings do. We can see just briefly, looking at this, what was the height of the Babylonian Empire still? Really large, right? Thousands of lords, big parties. Uh, the author is making the statement that though Nebuchadnezzar is gone, Things are still rolling in the empire. Chugga, chugga. The train is still going. And as Deb read, next verse, you can read it. I don't have to read the whole thing. Belshazzar doesn't learn from his father's late life epiphany. Whether he believed, whether he believed in Yahweh, not my, not my call, but at the end of his life recorded is, I praise God. <laughs> That's a good thing. But the young buck said, 
the heck with that. I'll speak to the men in the room, because the ladies are not capable of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think that way. How many of us ever said, thanks for the advice, Dad, but you're crazy? We didn't say that, but we thought that. I'm going to look in this row right here. Anybody ever say that? Yeah, some of us have the, some of us raise our hand, but, but that's the mentality. Youth is wasted on the who? Young. So big party, and at the height of the empire, we know that he has concubines and wives and many wives, so this man is, is uh, very much like some of the other kings and emperors in history. He's taken advantage of being king, and then he does something even his father didn't do, per se. Ultimately, his father was judged for a season for oppressing people in his kingdom and blasphemy. So, Belshazzar goes straight to what? Blasphemy. I'll kind of tell the story. You can read it if you want it this week. He has a big feast, and the things that his father took from Jerusalem out of the temple and near the Holy of Holies and the things consecrated to Yahweh, he starts to party with. It looks like to show off. That's what it looks like, right? It looks like just to show off. So we'll pick up a couple more verses here in Daniel 5. Look at verse 4. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So, many scholars say they were outright mocking God, probably. They were actually just being foolish because they were praising the very things that they could control with their own hands. If you get gold hot enough, if you do certain things to wood, you, in a sense, become the Lord over it because you make it what it, you want it to be, right? And they were praising this. So it's just foolishness, right? And this is what they're doing. No doubt the liquor has been flowing, and people do what people do. Verse 5, immediately the fingers of what? A human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. You ever been somewhere, maybe a wedding or a family function, and everything's going great, and all of a sudden when someone drops a plate or someone trips and falls, and the whole room goes silent and goes like this. Oof. That's the scene. Everyone's yucking it up, the party's on, the feast is happening, the music's loud, and all of a sudden a vision comes of a human hand riding along the wall. And the whole soundtrack goes what? Zip. And everyone's attention goes to the wall. That was an affront to the king because where did he want the attention? On himself, right? That's the nature of pride and idolatry, right? Verse 6, then the king's color changed. I used to be a paramedic for 10 years. And one of my early trainers, um, really good guy, he was in school to be a PA. Some of us are in, taking on school to do that soon in our body, so we'll pray for them. Right, Kev? He's like, what? Who? Where? And uh, he basically said, you'll know everything you need to know within the first 30 seconds of seeing someone. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, skin signs will tell you everything. So as a young paramedic, you don't really believe that, but as you get a little seasoned, you can walk in a room and go, yeah, they're dying. 
and that means let's, let's put coal in the engine and start to crank along, or even though they have 10 out of 10 pain and their life is over, they look fine, so I'm just gonna take it easy right now, you know what I mean? I'm gonna ask a few questions. I'm gonna look at some pictures on the walls. The king's color changed, and even though he was probably still fronting kingship, he's in utter shock. And the next few verses tell us that his knees start to knock and he becomes terrified. And this is our story. What does he do? What does a king do when he has a question? He can't read the writing. What does he do? He calls all the smart people, just like his dad, right? All the smart people show up, and what do they do? I don't know what's going on. I got no clue. And Belshazzar wasn't as trigger happy as his father. The first time that happened, they all died, remember? <laughs> or were going to die, I should say. Daniel stayed them. But then everybody listened to your mother. The king's mom shows up and says, Belshazzar, there's one in the kingdom who can probably help you out. His name's Daniel. And what does the king do? He listens to his mom and he says, go get Daniel. Now let's pause right here. If you were Daniel, put yourself back there. This isn't the main part of the story, but it helps. And you had some uh, street cred, right? You already helped Nebuchadnezzar out how many times? You interpreted how many dreams correctly? You stayed him from utter destruction and pointed him towards Yahweh, your God? That would feel, you were a good evangelist, right? What would you be doing? You and I would be on the circuit, on Instagram with a million followers, on Facebook doing our thing and making lots of what? That's what probably would happen. You're better than that, so I would do that for sure, okay? But the scripture tells us they have to go send for Daniel doing just normal, everyday things. So I want to pause here because Daniel is living in exile. He is living in a system, a way of a world that does not honor his God, and he is obeying the Lord's word from Jeremiah to do the things that he is instructed to do, like be a good citizen, Take his kids to school, maybe. Worship God in a way that is understandable. Not talk about aliens and Kool-Aid and all the things that religious people sometimes do, right? He's instructed to work hard, to show up on time, to pay his taxes to the king. And then the king needs a hand. And who does he call? Daniel, way out there. Just the guy living by faith. And the scriptures tell us Daniel shows up humbly and graciously in the pagan king's palace, right? Not like, it's about time you called, huh. or whatever we will do, or what took you so long, dummy, or very pious, and I know God, and uh, it's about time you called. But he shows up and says, how can I help? We'll continue to read, so you just don't take the pastor's word for it. You see it, right? Daniel, interp you can go to 522, Kim. Daniel, here's the account. And the first thing he does is remind Belshazzar, sorry, of his father's story, of his track record, and how his father humbled himself and was restored, Daniel 5.22. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, 
though you knew all of this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not hear or know, but the God whose hand is your breath and whose all your ways you have not honored. So Daniel has a different relationship with Belshazzar than he did with who? Nebuchadnezzar. And the Lord instructs him to come right out and say, you knew the story. You were in the kingdom when your dad went crazy and when he was restored, and you saw the humility that brought him close to the Lord, yet, knowing that, you have chosen to serve a different way and to really mock God and bring what was consecrated for him into your party and defile them. And then he does the little common sense thing. He's like, the gods of wood and stone have no bearing over you, but the God that holds your breath in his hands, you have not worshipped. That's the scene, right? The scriptures again tell us that the king is frightened and afraid. What has really happened? Belshazzar has not learned from his father. He's been a pretty standard young man. By the way, most young men, if they were given power to the largest empire in the world in their maybe early 30s, would probably what? Follow suit. It's part of the fall. But Belshazzar has, no pun intended, maybe, drunk deeply, deeply from the way of the world, the way his father used to. And what is the way of the world? Quickly, Kim, 1 John 2, 15. We'll finally get there. This is the way of the world that Belshazzar and his lords have drunken deeply of. Next verse. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in the possessions. God's not in this, but this is the fall, folks. Sin in sin's nature has come, and we live in a crazy world. Amen? And the last verse here, 17, the teaching here is don't be attached to those things because they are fleeting. And to finish up on Belshazzar, and I'll talk briefly about the last events, maybe in the week of our country, because I felt led to. The judgment came on Belshazzar. Daniel interprets the dream. Go read it this week. And it literally says, God's scales have weighed you, and you've come up short, buddy. Babylon is going to be taken, what, over, just like the dream your father had, and just like the dream last week where this mighty tree was to provide shade and fruit for all people, this empire, this government that has been blessed, that would be chopped down. And as Jesus would come and say in Luke 13 and other places, a new kingdom is coming, one which will start with a seed, a death, right? My death, and will be raised just as a mustard tree, a mustard seed. So when people drink from the way of empire in this context or the way of the world in 1 John, they lose their minds. I've drank from that in my life. Praise God, not recently, but I became irrational, obsessed with self, 
obsessed with the opposite sex and obsessed with things that were not pleasing to God. This is the way of the world, and this is what we're taught to resist, yet we are called to live as exiles here. And that's the catch, right? The way of the world, the fall, the sin, the things that combat us are, is out there. It's out there right now. When we leave, we will be confronted with the commission from Jesus, go and treat others the way you wish to be treated, go and be salt and light, go and forgive, go and be perfect in mercy, go and love the way I taught you to love. Forgive without what? Condition or end. Oh, but that's what Christ has done for us. That is hard, and that's why in many ways the Spirit is here to help us and encourage us every day Keep going. The world and its ways were on and are on display in Charlottesville, Virginia. Ten years ago, I would have stayed away from saying anything like this in church, but I've matured, hopefully, and now we should talk about racial unrest and hatred when it appears on our map in church. And if we don't, I'm a fake pastor. So that's me. Other pastors have their conscience, they do with them. But I've been convicted over the last few years and really over my own personal study, it's not about me, of the Sermon on the Mount and what that has done to me in my heart to say, wow. Now, I'll give you this caveat. I've learned enough not to believe the first picture on either side of the aisle because it's propaganda both ways. Don't believe the Nazi picture, the first one, or the... Uh, want to be pretty boy Mumford and Son Tiki Torch guys. But somewhere in the middle, there is a major upheaval going on in Virginia this weekend. And if you're not familiar, let me share kind of what I know. Friday night, a large group of white men got tiki torches, like real tiki torches from the backyard, and marched through a university towards this statue of Robert E. Lee. And they were shouting, I saw this on video so I can tell you this, I'm not trying to deceive you. We will not be replaced. I'm like, your mustaches should, but that's just me, right? We will not be replaced. We will not be replaced. We will not be replaced. And all these images came up. And so for the next about 36 hours, I started following things. And then yesterday, there was a big rally and protest. Some white nationalist speakers showed up, and they were doing what they do. David Duke, I don't know him personally, but he used to be in the KKK, showed up and started talking. And everybody is saying things right up to the line. That's the worst, man. Like, in my opinion, right up to the line. They aren't saying overtly racist things, but they aren't backing off it, right? And so many young men were there. Later in the afternoon, a picture that came out from a citizen had an African-American cop standing like this with members of the KKK behind him. He was protecting the KKK. That's Jesus to me. He's not Jesus, but that's, that's a picture of, you know what I mean? Loving those who hate and loving your what? enemies, to say all this, lots is happening. I didn't get the picture to Kim in time, but it's kind of funny, and it's not a tout to me, but Jesus didn't come as a man on a horse. How did he come into Jerusalem? A grown man on a donkey. You know what the statue was where a lot of these white men surrounded themselves on Friday night? It was Robert E. Lee on a war horse. And I only say that 
because I want to grab people by the shoulders on both sides of these arguments because another group called Antifa showed up and they're just anarchists. And when white supremacists and anarchists are in the same vicinity, guess what happens? Violence and bloodshed. And that's what happened. One or three people died, I didn't get the right report, but some people lost their lives over all this mayhem. But what I've been trying to preach to us in my own heart for the last two years is this is the way of the world. It started all the way back with who? Cain. I'm mad at you, I'm stronger than you, you will die. That is the spirit of Antichrist, church. Whatever group takes this on embodies Satan and the spirit of Antichrist because it is anti-gospel and anti-Calvary. It is anti the man going to Jerusalem to die for all people who would believe on a peaceful donkey, making fun of the system. Jesus is actually sarcastic at times, but he's perfect so he can be that way. And he uses satire. Jesus coming in on a small donkey is making fun, laughing at the way of Cain. Do we get that? He's like, you have it all wrong. I'm going to go die a violent death to give you people who choose to believe and follow me in my way the opportunity to say, no more. That's the gospel. That's the kingdom. That's the full gospel. If we just stop at theology, we fall short. If we just stop at activism, we fall short. It is the Calvary road of my life has been changed by the blood of the lamb. I now am being changed by his grace and his spirit. And I will walk the Calvary road between I will be an American, yes. And I will pray for good things for our country. But I will not worship or get drunk on the way of the what? World. Or the way of empire. Or the way of geopolitical ideologies because they are not the gospel. So I look at these men who are proudly putting forth to all to see their love of white supremacy, and to me, they have the mind of a what? Just like Nebuchadnezzar. Beast. I don't hate them. I look at them and go, that's wrong. That's evil. But they are out of their mind, and they are serving the God, Paul would say, of who? The small g? The God of what? This world. And the hard part about some of those folks on that side of our country is they actually hold the Bible up when they show up. And they actually will spout some things that our Lord said. And so what's our response as Christians? I think we pray. I think we beseech. I think when we are in our places of Life and the opportunity may present itself that we show people the other way, the way of Jesus, that we would quote the Apostle Paul. Uh, since Jesus came, there used to be lots of races and lots of economic things and lots of things, but since the cross has happened, Jesus has made a way to say, we're one in Christ. I think we do our due diligence where we're convicted to enter into society again, not by the way of what the world. What does the way of the world do? If the world had its way, even a Christian side view of its way, we would just bomb white supremacists if we wanted to do that. That's the way of the world. That's exactly how Satan would want Christians to respond. You're wrong. Let me beat your head in to show you how wrong it is. Jesus said that was the Roman Empire way. 
That was the Babylonian way. That was the Medo-Persian way. That was the Assyrian way. My kingdom is what? Different. Do not respond with violence. Actually come alongside your enemies and say, I'm tired of carrying this a mile, but let's go too. Have you met this guy named Jesus? <laughs> Have you heard about what he said? About loving enemies and forgiving each other and the gospel tenants? You got any money in here, babe? No money. Okay, no, okay, no money. It's probably my fault, right? She's joking. She's okay. I can get home, right? All this to say, in your time of prayer, when you spend time with the Lord, when you see things, when that visceral response to oppose hatred comes, take a moment. Remember the words of our Lord. Remember his teachings of who is blessed. Warmongers, no matter what Twitter says, will not be blessed, ultimately. Peacemakers will be. Bloodthirsty men or women, whether they're part of Antifa or supremacy groups, will not be blessed. That train or that ship will sail and it will come to a what? Crashing what? End. Because it's the way of the world. People who are broken, who are poor in spirit, who want to see justice and righteousness, heavenly justice and righteousness ushered out, will be blessed. That's the harder road though, right? That is the narrow what? As Christians, when things like this come to us, don't run away from them. Engage with your spouse, engage with other Christians, engage with our church. If there's a way to get involved, we will. But the pastor says, I don't have all the answers. I just try and follow and point people to who? Jesus. Not to end on a somber note, but uh, we are very fortunate for many ways to live where we live right now. There are housing prices and cultural things which sometimes go, ah, to me too. But we are, in many ways, as Christians, I think at times we see things in a more global gospel way. Take that, enjoy that, grow in that, and then Lord willing, we can maybe serve people who aren't there. So um, that was my little, try to tie that in with Nebuchadnezzar. His son drank deeply from the way of the world. It did not end well for his son, Belshazzar. The empire went down. He was short-lived as a ruler compared to others. And the hard part for us is that is not just a story from 2,500 years ago. The way of the world is still swirling and we're called to live as what? Exiles. And that's what our series has been about. We'll spend a few more weeks looking at the end of this book and a little bit of Revelation. And then we'll continue getting close to Advent. It's August. If you can, why don't you stand while I pray? And we'll ask the Lord to bless us this week. Or I should say, if you, if you want to. There's to be some fellowship across the way. Um, and like I said, one last time. If you can discern between compost and garbage, God bless you. <laughs> if not, just let's roll with garbage, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this group. We do thank you for this country. We thank you that we are allowed to live here and worship and learn. 
Father, I do pray for our nation and many segments of our nation, even here in the Bay Area, which are filled with fear and hate and bigotry and malice. Holy Spirit, give us the courage and the love to be peacemakers, to be salt and light, to be people who pursue Jesus every day. Father, bless us and keep us. May your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us all of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.